Easter is just an exciting time, and it's awesome that we got a worship team that will help us do that. Now, uh, if you're a first-time visitor here, we want to welcome you to City Church. We're so glad that you could come and join us and be a part of our worship this morning. Uh, if you are a visitor, we have a number that you can text to, and we will send you uh, a lot of love if you give us a little information. Now, today is doubly special because not only is it Easter, it is also this gentleman's birthday. So, we have to embarrass him by singing. Are you ready? Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear Jeff. Happy birthday to you. We're going to pray for you. We're going to pray for you. Father God, we thank you so much for Jeff. He has done so much for this church. He has sacrificed so much, and we just pray that you will bless him on this special day. You have given him years and wisdom, and he has used them in service to your kingdom. We pray that you'll give him many more years to serve you, and we are so grateful for him. In Jesus' name, amen. Happy birthday, buddy. We don't normally do that, but when your birthday is on Easter, right, it's got to happen. Uh, so yeah, guess, text in, and that's also the number that we can text to if you want to give your tithes and offerings. You can text to that same number, text give. There's also boxes in the back where you can give your tithes and offering if you want to go old school. So we're going to pray really quick for our tithes and offerings. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful that you're alive and that you are still moving in this world. We want to give to your kingdom as it continues to transform this world. So we just ask that you'll bless the tithes and offerings and pray that they will be used for the good of your kingdom and that they will transform lives each and every day. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so we only really have one announcement to go over today. We have a Connect class coming up at the end of this month. It's going to be April 30th. Uh, so if you're new to City Church, you want to get plugged in, you want to make this your home church, this is the first step to doing that. You're going to find out more about the church, who we are, what we're about, what we do, and how you can get plugged in. There's going to be food, it's always a motivator. Also child care, if you need that. So it'll all be provided for you. So if you'd like to get plugged in here at City Church, come and join us for that Connect class. Again, that'll be April 30th. And without further ado, let's continue our Easter worship with the awesome Pastor Jeff. Long ago, 
This is what they felt like when it happened. And today, it's how we should feel too. Because what it meant for them, it means for us. Isn't that good? I tear up every time I see that. I almost texted you guys this morning and <laughs> that he is risen, but I thought, oh, it'll mess up the video and then the video won't have as much impact. And so you might get a text like next week or something. I don't know. Um, so thank you for the birthday wishes. Um, it seems like more than 28 years that I've been alive, but I was, Disapproval, that's a word that um, when I was standing back there that God really put on my heart is that if you feel like you're under God's disapproval, I hope this morning changes something in you. We're continuing our series in Romans chapter 8, and, or excuse me, in Romans, and we're in chapter 8. And normally I do a separate thing for Easter or whatever, but it just kind of fit. As, you, as you're going through Romans, basically there's, uh, Paul starts talking about, man, how sinful is everybody? How, how sinful is the world? And see how bad it's gotten? And kind of like the song that we were singing earlier, can you see how bad it's gotten? And then he says, but then Jesus comes along and, and he starts to change everything. And, and he says, you have this law and, and in this law, all, there's all these rules. There's 613 rules in the Old Testament and everybody's trying to follow all these rules and they can't. And then it moves into Jesus comes and he basically fulfills the law and he says, all right, everybody, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to change this whole paradigm. I'm going to make it so that you don't have to follow all the 613 rules. All you have to do is follow me, and in doing so, all the rules will end up being followed. And then he goes, and then Paul starts talking about, it. he's like, okay, so I know Jesus has done this for me, and then we get to chapter uh, seven of Romans, and we call it the doo-doo chapter, because he says, I don't do the things I wanna do, and I do the things that I don't wanna do, and do, to do, to do, to do, to do. And, and it's like he's struggling. And this is the Apostle Paul, the one that was sent to the Gentiles, that went to Rome, that was shipwrecked, that was thrown in jail, that was beaten, that was whipped. Um, he was a Pharisee that had actually held the watched the clothes when they uh, stoned Stephen. Like this is a guy that had been through a lot and had seen God I mean, he had a, a transformative salvation where he sees a bright light, it blinds him. And he's saying, I can't even do it. I'm struggling with this. And when we can't do things for God, we feel this disapproval. And sometimes we don't really understand why. Now, in the 1800s, there was a, uh, from the book Beyond All Limits, Bill Bright and James O'Davis they recount a story about a man named William Edward Perry. And we have a nice artistic drawing or painting of him. Who I wish that they would like make paintings of us nowadays. That you'd stand there very regal and, and look amazing. But they don't, they don't do that anymore. Um, unless you're very, very wealthy, maybe they do. Uh, I wouldn't know. Uh, but he mapped out the southern polar cap. And uh, on one prediction, 
particular expedition, Perry and his crew were preparing to hike to another unfamiliar location. So you're going around Antarctica and you're seeing lots of ice and lots of penguins and that's about it. There's nothing else down there. And they're trying to map it out. Now, I think I would pick Hawaii or the South Pacific or at least like Korea or something to map out, not Antarctica. But they're mapping it out. And, and so he studied the stars so that they would know exactly where uh, they were going to be going. And they tracked the stars. So they, uh, they began their lengthy journey and it was multiple days. And when they finally got to where they thought they were supposed to be, he took another reading with the stars and he realized they were way off. And he's like, what happened? I know we traveled the right amount of time. I know we, we should be in the exact location. And when they tried to figure out the problem, it occurred to them that the ice that they were on had been moving. And it was this, like this huge platform of ice, miles and miles had been moving. And so no matter how hard they moved forward in the direction that they were supposed to go, they're sliding backward and they can't get any ground. And they're not, try, they're not getting where they're trying to get. And that's the way it is with us in, in life when we don't know God is that the world is pulling us in this direction. Our sin nature is pulling us in this direction. No matter how hard we walk, no matter like we get it calculated, this is exactly what I need to do. And we just can't get there. There's this gap. You can't outrun the ice. And that's what Paul was talking about. He's, he's like, man, I want to follow God, but I can't. I want to follow God, but there's this part of me that's just pulling me back and pulling me back. And, and that's not what we want. We want to be able to follow God. We want to see miracles. We want to see God do mighty things in our kids. We want to see God do mighty things in our marriage and, and to give us a purpose and give us a value uh, that's in him. That when Mark Twain, I've used this quote many times, it's very personal to me is that the two most important days of your life are the day that you were born and the day that you find out why. And so many people, we have an identity crisis in our country right now. People don't know what they were born for. And they, they get lost because you can't figure out what you're born for if you don't meet your creator. Because he created you for a purpose. Okay, Jeff, I'm gonna make you a, into a hammer. And I'm gonna use you as my hammer. or. Or Connie, I'm going to make you into uh, my flowering plant and I'm going to use you as my flower. Whatever purpose God made for you, that's what we're supposed to do. But what happens is we get distracted and we don't realize if we don't have a relationship with the creator, then we don't necessarily know what we're supposed to do. And so we wander off trying to figure out what we're supposed to do. And we see something, we see someone else that's having success. We're like, oh, okay, I'm going to be like them. But we can't because they were made for that. Maybe they were made to be a saw. And I go over there and I'm trying to saw as a hammer. That's not going to work. I mean, we have people changing sexes and changing thought processes and changing religions. And all they have to do is go to the creator and say, God, what is it that you want me to do? What is it that you made me for? You've given me an identity I don't know what it is yet, but I want to figure it out. So God opened my eyes to this. And Paul, he says, I struggle with this. And so constantly he's sliding backward. Like he, he's walking forward, but he's still moving backward because his sin nature is just pulling him back. 
And then he comes along, and, and all through chapter 1 through chapter 7 of Romans, it's like, this is the law, these are all the bad things that you've done, uh, this, this whole list. And then at the very end of chapter 7, he says, but Jesus. Something happened, but Jesus. He says, what a wretched man I would be, but Jesus. And then the beginning of chapter 8, he uses this scripture. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. Now, whenever you see a therefore in the Bible, you have to see what it's there for. I know, that's a preacher joke. It's not even funny. Everybody's like, oh, that's, yeah, that is a preacher joke. But you have to look what it's there for. It, it didn't say there. It says, therefore, you have to look what was before that. And so Paul's saying, you have all these laws and you have all these rules and the law could do nothing for you except point at all the sin that you had in your life. That's all the law could do. I wouldn't know what coveting was if it wasn't for the law. I wouldn't know what adultery was if it wasn't for the law. So the law just points at it, but the law couldn't change you inside. And so you're gonna fail. And Paul says, but Christ comes along and it changes everything. And he says, there is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Do you think the Jews ever got tired of following all the rules? Man, 613. I have a hard time with like 10 rules at my house. Don't leave your shoes out in the middle of the floor. Make sure to make the bed. Uh, put the little razor back on the little hook. I mean, there's, there's all these little rules and stuff, but man, they had rules about how far you could walk on the Sabbath. They had rules about lighting candles on the Sabbath. They had rules about how you slaughter an animal. They had rules about what you can eat and what you can't eat. And, and man, you, you had to be like walking on eggshells, worried that you were going to accidentally do something that was against the law. And then you have all these Pharisees that are around that are like, oh, look at what he did. I mean, they were all like, and no wonder they rebelled. No wonder they couldn't do it. They needed, they needed something else. Here's what the word condemnation means. It means guilty. There's therefore, you are not guilty pass judgment. You are not going to have anybody pass judgment on you because you struggle with sin. You're not going to be sentenced to punishment because of that. And then the word that I like the most is God is not going to disapprove of you because you struggle with sin. Man, we just, we get so wrapped up in that disapproval. When you accepted Christ, there is no disapproval. He says, nope, I've washed it away. I've taken care of it, all of it. So by sending his son, Jesus, God was communicating that he understood that we couldn't do it. God knew that we couldn't do it, but he had to let us know that, he, that we couldn't do it. So then it goes to Romans, uh, we go to verse five, and it says, those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. 
The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. So all Paul is saying is, what are you thinking about? Like, what's your mindset? Are you trying to follow God or are you trying to follow the flesh? Now, here's what set our minds on. It's not like you take every thought and you analyze and you say, okay, am I thinking about the flesh or am I thinking about God? Uh, That's not the way that works. It's a mindset. It's like, what's your overall mindset? Am I going this direction or am I going this direction? If I'm going this direction, I'm moving along. And if I, if I like get sidelined a little bit, that's okay. Because my mindset is on that direction. If I'm out reconnoitering, that's a big word. Uh, if I'm out reconnoitering in, in the wilderness and I'm trying to get from here to Mount Taylor, I have to keep my eyes on Mount Taylor. Otherwise, I'll never get there. I'll be walking and all of a sudden I'll be in Powaki because I haven't kept my eyes on where I'm going. And that's all Paul's saying. It's very simple, is you keep your eyes on God, you're gonna draw close to God. If all you do is spend time searching the world, like looking at what the world does and what your flesh wants, then you're gonna go toward that. So here's what the flesh means in this scripture, is anything that's tangible, anything you can touch. Okay, cars. So I like to research how much it would cost a car to buy a car and, and all the features with it and stuff. And like I'm analysis paralysis is, is what defines me. There, there's like several of you that are like, yep. And then there's several of you that are like, moron. Uh, just go out and buy it. Show some faith. But I get an analysis paralysis. And so I can get it so that I dwell so much on, on that and and that's my whole focus. And I go to work and I'm at work and I'm thinking about the car. And I, I go to, I'm with the kids and watching their soccer game thinking about the car. And, and I get so focused on that that I can't get my mind off of what I really need to be doing. It's anything tangible. So when you're thinking about stuff, are you thinking about stuff that's tangible that you can touch? Anything that you can touch? Or are you thinking about things of God? So Paul's just saying, it's very simple. You want to move closer to God, you got to think about God. And if you want to think about God, then you, you read your Bible, you go to church, you get around people that, that love God, uh, you worship, you listen to worship songs, you listen to uh, Christian podcasts, whatever it is that gets your mind thinking about God. Now, our, God has made our bodies in this really interesting way. Is the flesh, I told you, was anything tangible, anything you can touch, but we also have uh, what the Bible says, a sukikos, a sukikos, where we get the word psyche or soul. So we have a soul inside of us and our soul has an affinity to the flesh. It has an affinity to the tangible. Our soul is the one that says, hey, you're hungry. You need to go get that, that nice juicy hamburger uh, from uh, Red Robin. And, and so we follow our soul and we go get that that juicy hamburger. Right now, everybody's like, ooh, juicy hamburger. Our soul does not have a natural affinity to follow God. Now, we have another thing called the pneuma, uh, P-N-E-U-M-A, the pneuma, which is our spirit. And our spirit does have a natural affinity toward God. 
And so we're kind of pulled in two different directions. So is the new, interesting, pneuma uh, is where we get the word pneumatic or air. Basically, it's a pressurized air. In Genesis uh, chapter 2, verse 7, it's where God breathes. It's where his, he puts his spirit in man and basically creates life in man. Man was just a dirt shell. And God comes along and he breathes in him. Now, the difference is that I have this, these two parts in me, this psyche that's pulling me one direction, and I have this pneuma that's pulling me the other direction. And the Holy Spirit comes along, and Jesus comes along, and he says, I want to change the direction you're going. Now, when I grew up in uh, Colorado, we would get some big snows at times. And there was this big hill on a, on a road called Wadsworth that if you went to Arvada from where our house was and you came back, uh, a lot of times we had friends that lived in Arvada and we'd go visit them. And on the way back, there was this really steep hill. And it was, if it got snowy, it got icy on this hill. And we get to, uh, to the bottom of this hill and I've got a four wheel drive blazer. And I'm looking at this hill and there's like cars, like all sideways on this hill. And there's even this police car kind of going up the hill and then he starts to turn sideways and then he comes back down and he goes this way and, and he's trying to help everybody and even he can't do anything. And big four-wheel drive truck goes up and he, he gets up there and then he starts going sideways and stuff. And, and, and I look at that. Now, I made it. Just saying. <laughs> and you know how I made it? Is I just went slow and easy. I put it in four-wheel drive just went slow and easy. I didn't try and like race up the side. But that's what our sin nature does. Just like with the, the ice, ice flow is that our sin nature, no matter how hard we try, we're, it's like we're constantly being pulled down and pulled down. Now listen to this. This is, this is Romans chapter 8 verse 11. And I'm using the message Bible because I feel like it really helps us here. It stands to reason, doesn't it? That if the alive and present God who raised Jesus from the dead moves into your life, he'll do the same thing in you that he did in Jesus, bringing you alive to himself. When God lives and breathes in you, as he does, as surely as he did in Jesus, you are delivered from that dead life. With his spirit living in you, your body will be as alive as Christ. So a lot of people think that he's talking about resurrection. Jesus rose from the dead. We celebrate Easter. He rose from the dead thousands of years ago and stuff, and he's still alive today. And one day we will have a resurrection. But he's also talking about something else. The same power that rose Jesus from the dead can transform your soul, can transform your spirit. And so he takes that icy hill and he flattens it. And suddenly, man, I don't have as hard a time following God. Because his spirit has done something inside of me and I'm not being torn left and right figuring out, gosh, am I doing the right thing or am I not doing the right thing? Why am I struggling with this so much? No, over time, his spirit starts working in us and he takes our hard heart and he, and he softens it. See, the spirit is the part of us that can live independently of the body. The spirit's inside of us. It can live independently of the body. Body dies, spirit still lives. And so if we have... If we just live by our soul and how we feel, like our soul is our feelings. Oh, I'm worried about this, or I think about that, or what are they going to say about this? Or, boy, I really want that. All, if we start living by our psyche, by our soul, it's going to have an affinity to the flesh. But if we start living by our spirit, we're going to be pulled to the things of God. 
And God, when his spirit came on us, it flattened that hill. And suddenly it's not so hard to drive on. Suddenly it's not so hard to find God's direction and move in that direction. So think about what the spirit of God did. Abraham, who was like 80 years old or probably even older than that, he ends up having a kid. I feel like he was over 100. Um, he was. Okay, there we go. Uh, he was over 100, and he and Sarah had Isaac. I mean, think about that. When I'm over 100 years old, I did not want to have a baby. And I think most people in this room would be like, yep, I'm not doing that. But God's power was so great that he brought life into what was a dead body. Or you think about Joseph, who was sold into slavery, and he pulls him out of the prison and makes him the right-hand guy to Pharaoh. And he ends up not only saving Egypt from the famine, but he saves the Israelites as well. And then you think about Saul, in the Apostle Paul. Saul's a Pharisee. He was anti-God, or, or excuse me, anti-Jesus, and God radically saves him. So when the Spirit comes upon you, it does something inside of us, and it flattens that hill. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. We can look around at the news and stuff and man, it's depressing. I follow Twitter and, if, and I have like a, an entire list that's just news articles and stuff. If I'm in that for more than like five minutes, Number one, I'm angry. And number two, I'm like depressed. Because I'm just like, man, what is this world coming to? And, and so if we focus on that, then it, it, it stinks. But he, here's, what, here's what that verse says. God has given us an opportunity to impact our children and for them be used despite their, uh, and, and they can be used despite their age. I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. I want my, my daughters to prophesy. They're speaking, when you prophesy, you're speaking God's words to people. You're speaking eternal words to people. And I want people to hear my daughters touching God and listening to God and hearing God's words. So when the spirit comes upon you, even though everything's dead inside of you, even though you're struggling, things can turn around. They're seeing what God is doing in spiritual realms and they have a future and a hope instead of death. We have this plant at home. Um, it was actually, I think, a birthday present uh, for me. And it was like small when I got it. And now it's a tree um, about this big. And if we forget to water it, it gets all dry. Like the soil gets dry. You guys have all probably seen this. And I can go in and I can, like if we've forgotten to water it for a couple of weeks, you can always tell because the leaves start to wither and it doesn't look quite right and, and I'm thinking well maybe I should just get rid of it and stuff but when you pour water in it that water goes right through the dirt and doesn't do anything it just like goes right to the pan and so you when you it's been dry for so long and maybe you've been dry for so long you have to keep pouring water in it and keep pouring water in it until the soil actually soaks up all that water we become hard 
if we're not around God. Our soil becomes dry and crusty and stuff. And so even when God shows up, sometimes we don't even realize it. We're like, oh, well, that was a little trickle when really it was a lot of water. But God was like, you're just not, you've lost the ability to even soak that up. See, your ability to retain the water has become a lot worse. In Isaiah, it says, for I will pour water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. I will pour out my spirit on your offspring and my blessing on your descendants. They will spring up like grass in a meadow, like poplar trees by flowing streams. Think about all these verses and how Paul is talking about, you got the law and you got sin and all these things. And then he comes along, God poured out his spirit on you. God poured out his spirit on you. He wants to change your heart. He wants to raise up your kids. He wants to restore life in you. He wants the dry ground to, to soak up water and, and grass to spring forth from it and trees to spring forth from it and, and rivers to start, to start flowing out from it. And you can start to see this life that God wants to do inside of you. We're here on Easter and Jesus rose from the dead. He didn't just rise from the dead just to show off to everybody. He had to conquer death to flatten that hill, to make things so that we could walk with purpose in him. And then not only that, he took the same spirit that rose him from the dead and he put it inside of us. And that spirit doesn't just sit inside of us and we're like, oh, woe is me. When we focus and we set our eyes on Christ, then he starts to make rivers from the desert. We know all about desert here, don't we? Man, it can get so dry here. About two weeks ago, the wind's blowing and like the trees hadn't start, started blossoming yet and stuff. And I was like, gosh, it's dry. And sleep in bed at night and your mouth gets dry. And, and God wants to change that. I believe that God wants to change that in Albuquerque. He wants to bring streams in this desert. Therefore, there's another therefore. This is Romans 8 verse 12. Brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it is not to the flesh. It's not to stuff that's tangible. To live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Okay. Psyche versus spirit. It is so easy to get caught up in the psyche. It's so easy to get caught up in how things feel. And we know that, okay, what does it take to change or excuse me, what, what does it take to grow? It takes change. And what does it take uh, to have change? You guys remember the word? It takes pain. You can't change without pain and you can't grow without change. And God wants us to grow. He wants you individually to grow. He wants you, us as a church to grow. He wants the church in Albuquerque to grow. And so it's gonna require some pain and it's gonna require some change. And so God's doing this thing. Well, my, my flesh and my soul don't like change. Nope. Sarah moves a chair in our living room, and I don't like it. It doesn't matter where it is. I, well, that's not the way it used to be. I used to like to put my jacket right there, and now you're making me change where I can put my jacket. <laughs> Man, I don't like change. So you know what God does every once in a while? He throws in some change in my life. And I'm, boy, I don't like it. 
that's hard for me. When God messes up my life, I get everything just right. And about that time I get it just right, all of a sudden he comes in. Nope, I'm changing it. Uh! And then I have to say to my flesh, I have to say to my soul, get thee behind me, Satan. I mean, you know what I mean? We have to let, all right, God, I'm going to trust your spirit inside of me more than I'm going to trust my soul. It says we have an obligation. You know what? We're in debt to Jesus. That's really what it means. We can't ever pay it back, but we're in debt to Jesus. Someone's come along and done such an amazing thing to you, and we are in debt, but we can never pay it back. Someone saves your life. How do you pay them back unless you like follow them around until they have a, a death experience? You just can't do that. Several years ago, uh, I was getting surgery on my shoulder. Um, I messed it up because I thought I was younger than I was. Uh, I was out playing soccer, and this ball came across, and I'm thinking, I mean, I've been watching the World Cup or whatever it was, watching some game, and they went up, and, and so I, <laughs> I think I pulled a hamstring. No, um, I, I went up to do a volley, and I got up in the air, and I hit it with my right, my right foot, and it actually went where I wanted it to go. It was awesome. But when I came down, this foot hit the ground, and the grass was a little slick, and it slipped out from under, and I put my arm behind me to catch me, and my arm got caught under my body, and it tore three tendons off the bone in the shoulder. And, boy, that was like sympathy right there. That was awesome. It's like, oh, I'm so sorry. And it burned so bad. I, I mean, as soon as it happened, I was like, I, I know I just tore a bunch of stuff in there. It's like... I got home and I took off my shirt. I could barely get my shirt off. And this, this arm is about three inches shorter than it should be. Like the, where the shoulder was, it was like down here. And I'm looking at it thinking, oh my goodness. Now, it, it really didn't um, hurt after about the first 12 hours, 24 hours. And then the pain went away because there was nothing attached anymore. It was just hanging there by skin and whatever else. So I go in to have surgery for it. And as I'm I go into the operating room and that morning I wasn't feeling real well, just kind of upset to my stomach. And, and so they're hooking me up, getting ready to take me into the operating room. And, um, I was getting a little nervous and stuff and that didn't help my stomach. And, and pretty soon I started getting really nauseous and I told the nurse, I said, I think I'm going to throw up. And, um, well, if you've ever heard of a vagal response, it's like all of the blood vessels in your body constrict and it, and it, basically slows down your your blood flow and your heart rate drops and I don't know all the physiological things with it but that's what was happening and so there they watched my heart rate just almost go to nothing for a few seconds as I'm feeling like I'm going to throw up and they're like man he's having a heart attack so they they said we're not doing your surgery we're going to send you over to the heart hospital because we think you had a heart attack so I spent a lot of time uh, at the uh, heart hospital a lot more time than I thought I or than I really wanted to and they finally did this heart catheter and I've never had a heart cath um, didn't know what it was and he says what we're going to do is we're going to take uh, this wire and we're going to fill your your uh, your blood full of uh, like a something to make it glow <laughs> so that so that you uh, yeah. 
Man, as an engineer, I'm failing right now. Um, a dye, that's the word I was trying to think of. Thank you. They put a dye inside of my blood and stuff, and then they were going to run this, this wire, and he says, we're going to try through your wrist, but if we can't do it through your wrist, we're going to have to go in through your groin. I was like, oh, Jesus, please let it be my wrist. Please let it be your Because <laughs> I, I was not interested in that. <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> that can only go nowhere but bad. You know what our pastor had preached on today? So they, they lay me in there. And when I get in there, they're playing like 50s rock and roll music and and stuff, and, and they're all dancing around and stuff, and I'm like, they're not taking this as serious as I'm feeling it should be taken. <laughs> and they're really happy and stuff, and like, I'm completely naked on, on this table, and they've got like a little sheet that is never thick enough, just saying, nurses, find thicker sheets, just. And so they put that wire in through my wrist, and I could feel it going all the way up my arm and go in into my chest cavity, and then I didn't feel it for a couple of seconds. And I'm watching this all up on the screen. And so you can see my heart going, boo-doom, boo-doom. And you can see this wire start to go in. And I thought, I'm going to die as soon as that thing hits me. And basically, they went in through the artery and they go into the heart. And as soon as that wire got close to my heart, it changes the electromagnetic properties of the heart. And I could, I could feel this tickle, this little flutter. And he goes in through this one artery and it's like flutter, flutter. And I'm like, oh, that's weird. And he's like, isn't it? <laughs> like, he was so excited. And he's like, and we're going to check out this other artery here too. And I could feel it in, the, in a different part of my heart. And I was like, man, I've never felt my heart like that before. And, and then he says, all right, we got one more valve to check out. And so he checked out that valve and uh, they, they finished up. The whole thing took like 40 minutes or something like that. And when it, was all, when it was all over, he says, everything looks great. All your valves are clean. Go have a greasy hamburger. Um, I've never had a doctor tell me to go have a greasy hamburger, but he did. I think every once in a while, God comes along and he says, I want to test your heart and see if it responds to me. And he kind of does a spiritual heart cath. In Ezekiel, it says, I'll give you a new heart, put a new spirit in you. I'll remove the stone heart from your body and replace it with a heart that's God-willed, not self-willed. I'll put my spirit in you and make it possible for you to do what I tell you and live by my commands. You see, the law couldn't let anybody live by God's commands. And so God comes along and he wants to touch you and see if your heart responds. And so if you're in a church meeting and people are excited for Jesus, or someone's talking about a, a verse they read in the Bible, and, and you don't even respond. You're like, okay, great, wonderful for you. Maybe your heart's like stone. And maybe that's God like, hey, there's no little flutter for me anymore. There's no little response when I come near. Maybe you got hardened arteries and stuff. Think about a rubber band. You leave a rubber band out, you don't use it, and pretty soon it gets dry, and we've all picked one up, and you pick it up, and you go to use it, and it snaps, and, and it's brittle, and it breaks, and you can't use it for what, it's, what it should be used anymore. And that's, what, that's what basically what God does, is he comes along, and he wants to touch you. 
Now this last part in Romans chapter 8, and we didn't even get all the way through Romans chapter 8, is he says, for those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship, and we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. And now if we are God's children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. See, we've been adopted into God's family. Now, you treat your kids different than you would treat the kids at Target. Now, sometimes I wish I could treat the kids at Target the way I treat my kids. You know what I mean? My kids have some privileges that nobody else has. They can bring their friends over, but their friends aren't going to have the same privileges. I'm not going to go up to their friends and give them a big hug and kiss them on the forehead. That's what I do to my daughters. I'm not going to let their friends drive my cars. That's what some of my daughters are doing right now. I'm not going to let them participate in some of the family activities. And that's what God is doing is he's allowing us to participate in his family. We have a small group on Wednesday nights. And uh, when people first come in, and it's always funny to, to do this. When people first come in, we say, okay, whatever we have here, you can go get anytime. You can go to the fridge. We've got a little fridge in the other room. There's sodas and uh, other drinks in there. You can get those anytime. If there's fruit on the counter, you can have it. Whatever, Whatever's in our cabinets, you're here. If we're not here, you can come in. You can get whatever. How many people do you think actually take advantage of that the first time they walk into our house? Man, it's taboo. Oh, I don't want to do that. They might look at me funny. But yet, people eventually they realize there's no condemnation. I'm not going to look down on you. Hey, go get another soda. That's what they're there for. Go get some ice cream. You know that someone has become part of our family when they just go get in the fridge and they go get dessert and, and they make it for themselves and they sit down on the couch with us while we're having Bible study. And it's awesome. And that's what God wants us to be is he says, I want to draw you in and I want you to feel free. I want you to feel part of my, as part of my family. When Abram became Abraham and Jacob became Israel and Simon became Peter and Saul became Paul, God was trying to get rid of their old self. He was trying to get them to forget their old self. It's funny because when I think of those, I think of the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. Now, this is a story all about how my life got turned upside down. And you take this kid from the hood and you put him in this wealthy family and he doesn't really know how to act. He still acts like he's in the hood. Sometimes we still act like we're in the hood. You know what I mean? We forget we're God's kids. We had a lady that uh, used to come to the church. Her name was Omak. She changed her name to Rachel because she wanted to look at herself and think of herself as bought and redeemed by God rather than the name she was given at birth. And so she went by Rachel after that. She was a Korean lady. Um, man, made the best bulgogi. Just saying. 
Okay, here's the, here's the last thing. Let's have the worship team go ahead and come on up. If we're heirs, then that means there's an inheritance. And sometimes we forget about that. We think, okay, when I die, I'll go to heaven. All will be good. But there's an inheritance right now. And that inheritance, you know what the deposit of that is? Is it's the Holy Spirit. And so when we get brought into the family, God does something inside of our heart. He pours his spirit inside of our heart and we get his inheritance. Imagine if my kids brought one of their friends over and they came over and I said, you know what? Do you want to hang out with this family? You want to be part of this family? All right, I'm going to put you in my will. That kid would be like, what? You're putting me in your will? I'm saying, yeah. That $50, that's, I mean, you're going to have to split it four ways, but still. <laughs> but can you imagine that? But that's what God did. Your name got written in his will. Everything that he gave to Jesus, he can give to you. Let's stand up. There may be some of you that are far from God. There may be some of you that are close to God. And there's a story in the Bible about the prodigal son. Um, and you've all heard it, but there's a little part of that that I want to make sure and, and talk about. If you're struggling with identity, if you're struggling with God, you feeling like God disapproves of you, we want to pray for you this morning. And we'll have prayer people in the back corner over here. And I want you to go back with them and just have them pray that God would speak to you and give you his identity. Not the one you're searching for, not the one that you feel like you have, his identity. The prodigal son, he goes to his dad and he says, I want my inheritance now. And he goes off and he says that he did riotous living. I don't even know what riotous living was. He was out rioting or something like that. He did. He went out and he did riotous living, probably drinking, maybe prostituting. I don't know what all it involved. But he basically spent all of his inheritance, all of his money. He wasn't anywhere near family. And so the only way that he could make a living at that point was by, by feeding the pigs. And he's in the pig pen and he's standing there and he's giving food to the pigs thinking, man, they have more than I do. And spiritually, you may feel like everybody else has more than I do. All those pigs over there, they've got more than I You may feel like, man, pigs have more than I do. I have nothing. And here's the thought. The difference between the pig and the man is that the pig went ahead and kept eating the corn husks and the man said I will arise and go to my father that's the difference we can just keep eating the slop or we can say I'm going to arise and go to my father and when he turned and he went back to it and traveled all the way home, he didn't find his dad sitting in the house. He found his dad out on the road coming toward him 
waiting for him. If you are struggling with identity or you're struggling with disapproval, I will arise and go to my father. Just go to your father. And he's gonna be out there and he's gonna speak to you and he's gonna say, my son is home. And he says, let's kill the fatted calf and have a party. Let's everybody celebrate. And that's exactly what's gonna happen. This new song we sang this morning, it's called Graves into Gardens. That bridge is awesome. There's nothing, nothing better than you. He turns graves into gardens. He turns bones into armies. If you are just dead, let his spirit come upon you and he'll bring life.
Checking the boxes. Oh, we look to the sun. Set. 
are welcome, Lord of hosts. You are welcome, Prince of Peace. Your children dance before you. Ah, we lift this song to you. This is our deepest heart cry. It is Come on, come talk 